am so thankful. So anyway, today, I know today is Mother's Day. Yes, I'm aware of that. And typically, I would have a Mother's Day sermon, wouldn't I? Typically, I would do that. (laughs) But the Lord really, in fact, last week when we started a different series, I didn't really think it was going to be a series, but I realized it is going to be a series. When we started that, I kind of thought about that. And as the Lord was speaking to me about going forward on the Beatitudes, and I said, you know, one of the first things I said to him was, I said, yeah, but Lord, but, 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 but next Sunday is Mother's Day, and that's not going to really fit very well with Mother's Day. And he said, stay the course, Lisa Marie. So I'm going to just stay the course. But, you know, I know that in his eternal wisdom, the, the reason that he's having us do that this is because it will bring us all into a more ascended state. It will bring us all into a more victorious state. It will transform us all more greatly into the likeness of Christ. And moms, you know that's what you are to your children. You are a likeness of Christ. So today is really good for moms, and it'll be really good for dads, right? But I do just want to say a few things about moms. And, you know, momship is probably, and fathership, I'm not going to leave you out, dads. It's probably, you know, when times are difficult, it's the hardest job in the world. And when times are good, we think of it as being the most blessed of all positions, of all jobs, of all callings. But honestly, it's always the most blessed. It is always the most blessed of callings. And, um, you know, I only ever had one, I, I didn't even want kids at first, you know, at first I was like, so God really had to totally change my heart on that one. But anyway, at least I listened, and my husband listened. Um, but anyway, once he got that settled in my heart, I was like, you know, really honestly, once he got that settled in my heart, I thought raising kids is just one thing. It's one thing only, and it's raising disciples for Christ. That's it. That's the whole goal. From day one, it's raising disciples for Christ because that's what's going to make them happiest in life when they find their talents and they can use them for the Lord, and that's what's going to make you happiest in life. And that's what's going to impact the world in the greatest fashion. It will impact the world. It will impact communities, friends, family. It will impact the world. Because when a heart is changed for Christ, the world changes. Right? So that was the only, only the ever goal, ever only, the only goal is to raise missionaries for Christ. We are the church, and we've been given a goal, and that's to shine Christ to the world. So when you are raising mom, when you have raised a child who shines the light of Christ, you don't have to wait to get to heaven and hear God say, well done, my good and faithful servant. You can receive that right now. Whether, whether that's you being a biological mom or whether that's you being a spiritual mom, right? They're equally important. So anyway, I'm just going to read one little portion before I start my message from Proverbs 31. It's really about a wife, right? But this part applies to children. It all applies to children because if you are a godly wife, you're setting an an example for your children, and that's being a godly mom. But anyway, in verse 26, it says, She speaks with wisdom, and faithful instruction is on her tongue. She watches over the affairs of her household. (laughs) 
y'all get a little frustrated with me <laughs> when I get teary-eyed? I don't, I don't know why I get teary-eyed. <laughs> I have no idea. <sighs> she watches over the affairs of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children arise and call her blessed. See, that's what they're going to do. Even if you're going through a struggle, in the end, they're going to rise and call you blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Many women do noble things, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her the reward she has earned, and let her works bring her praise at the city gates. So I want you to think about what you've done. I don't want you to think about the mistakes you've made. That's the devil. I want you to think about the goodness that you've sown and be celebrated today. In Jesus' name. Okay, so give me a few seconds. Oh, yes. Yes, Lord, thank you. God is good. You know, his love defends us. And do you know that your love has defended your children? Do you know that? Your love in Christ has defended... <laughs> Has defended you. Love the hairdo. <laughs> your loving Christ has defended your children in ways that you'll never know till you get to heaven. Your loving Christ has defended your spiritual children in ways that you'll never know until you get to heaven. So just rejoice that God has given you this opportunity. All right. So thanks, moms. <laughs> okay, so today we're going to continue our journey on the Beatitudes. We're going to continue our journey on what I'm calling God's Road of Blessing. God's Road of Blessing. And this is going to be good for us. Um, Every sentence, if you look at this, every single sentence of this part of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount starts with the word blessed. 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 Okay? I want to be blessed, so Jesus is talking here. It's red letter. Jesus is talking here, and I want to do this. I want to do this because I know he has a blessing in store for me. So last week we studied, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Okay? And so I think it's kind of important to think about, why did Jesus put that one first? Why did he put, blessed are the poor in spirit? And we studied what that was, right? We studied. That doesn't mean you have a lacking spirit. That doesn't mean you have a quote-unquote, worldly poor spirit. That doesn't mean you have a weak spirit. Because as born-again believers in Jesus Christ our Lord, spirit-filled, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in us. We are new creations in Christ. We are heirs, co-heirs with Jesus, seated at the right hand of the Father. He has given us the glory that God gave him. So there's no way that poor can mean defeated, diminished in any way. What it means is humbled unto the lordship of Jesus Christ. That's what it means. Humbled unto the lordship of Jesus Christ. So it's important that we understand 
about being poor in spirit because without that, we can't do any of the rest of these beatitudes. We have to come to that place first. We have to be humbled under the lordship of our Lord Jesus Christ first before any of these other ones, before we'll understand or have revelation on any true revelation, godly revelation, spirit-filled revelation on any of the rest of these, okay? And we have to understand that all we have is because of him. All we have is because of him. All we are is because of him. Without him, we can do nothing. Without him, we are nothing. You probably don't want to hear that, do you? But it's the truth. <laughs> it's not that we're unimportant to him. I, I don't mean it that way. We're precious. Every person, believer or yet to believe, every person is precious to the Lord. So that's, that wasn't the intent of that statement. But in him, we become more than conquerors. Romans 8.37 says, We are more than conquerors through him who loves us and gave himself for us. So until we become dependent and truly submitted to Christ, we can't go through and receive all these beautiful blessings. Our humbleness unto Christ is our avenue to truly know him. Our humbleness unto him is our avenue to truly know him. So when he tells us about these blessings and the blessed life to which we are heir, I think it's important to understand that the reason he did this is, to, is so that we would not have a faceless God. He's revealing his character to us in these Beatitudes. He's revealing who he is and who we can be. Okay? It, you know, in the Old Testament, sad but true, you know, they did not have a face-to-face -face God, did they? They had a God who came in fire <laughs> and smoke and all sorts of things. You know, and, and look at the picture in Deuteronomy 4. Starting in verse 10, it says, Remember the day you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb when he said to me, Assemble the people before me to hear my words so that they may learn to revere me as long as they live in the land and may teach them to their children. That's his, his commands. You came near and stood at the foot of the mountain. You stood down there. See, they didn't approach. See, we can approach Jesus because Jesus approached us right? With black clouds and deep darkness, then the Lord spoke to you out of a fire. You heard the sound of words, but saw no form. There was only a voice. Well, that's good. A voice is good, right? But what do we have in the New Testament? We have a face-to-face -face Jesus. He came. He gave up everything. He sacrificed everything. He came to be in our face, to be with us, to walk arm in arm. He walked with the disciples, and he's walking with us. And when he spoke to them, he said, bring the little children unto me. And the disciples would sit at his feet. A face-to-face, -face personal God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. He beckons us. He beckons us to come near. He draws us near with words of blessing not words of condemnation, with instruction, but not with condemnation, with blessing. And he tells us how to live a truly blessed life. So these Beatitudes are going to take us on this journey. This is going to be wonderful for us because they are going to take us they're going to take us into a journey where we are transformed more and more into the likeness of God, into the likeness of Christ. You know, as Holy Spirit-filled Christians, we are all about the ascended life, aren't we? No weapon formed against me shall prosper. This is the victory that overcomes the world, even my faith. Greater is he who is in me than who he who is in the world. I am co-heir with Christ. The same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead dwells in me. It quickens my mortal body. 
That's what we're about. That's all true. And sometimes we struggle with how, how to walk in that. These Beatitudes are your answer. They're your answer. Take them seriously. Dig into them. Don't just take them superficially on the surface for what they're saying. Think about what each one of them means. Employ them in your life. Let the word come in and change your heart. These are heart workings. By the power of the Holy Spirit, that's what these are. And that's what God is after in these. Our transformation. And this is what we're going to receive. The Lord just told me this yesterday, or last night actually. I already had all this. I had already thought about all this, but then he showed me this. And he said, Lisa Marie, this is where you're going. You know, we've talked so much in this church about the fullness of Christ. We We are meant to walk in the fullness of Christ. That's our inheritance. That's what Christ came to give us. Nothing missing, nothing broken, no lack. And it's all true. And he said to me last night, you go through these Beatitudes, and this is what you're going to get. This is your reward. Ephesians 4, verse 21 Surely you heard of him, we're talking about Christ, and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught, see, we're learning the truth that's in Jesus when we go through these Beatitudes. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. We're putting that off. That's a lifelong journey. That's a lifelong journey. To be, here's the reward, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. That's where you're going, saints. That's where you're going, beloved. That's the gift. That's the gift. And it is solely, solely matter of whether we're going to open the gift and receive the gift. Who wants to go there with me? Amen. So anyway, thank you God for this kind of Christ that has been revealed to us, that the veil has been removed, that the blood purchased redemption, communion, Regeneration, refreshing, reconciliation unto a reward more, 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 more blessed than any of us can even imagine. See, these Beatitudes, they're, they're revealing the personality of Jesus to us. And that's who we are when we're born again. Hallelujah. So today we're going to move on to Matthew 5, 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. So the first thing we need to look at is we need to look at what is mourning and what types of mourning are there. So the scripture, I mean, the dictionary says mourning. To express grief or sorrow, to grieve, to be sorrowful. Mourning may be expressed by weeping or audible sounds or by sobs or sighs or inward silent grief. Okay? 
That's mourning. And, there, and as I was studying, there are several types of mourning. Several types of mourning. There's natural mourning. There's a worldly mourning, which I'm just going to use the term covetous mourning because I think it's a little easier to understand. And then there's spiritual or godly mourning. So first we're going to go into natural mourning. And natural mourning, this would be a situation where you mourn over a physical loss. You might mourn over the loss of a friend or a relative or a job or a, um, a, a lost opportunity, something in this world that basically causes some sort of natural division or disconnect in this life, okay, a natural mourning. Now, that's not bad to mourn over our losses as long as we don't stay in a grieved position. And certainly Jesus wants to comfort us in those situations, and he does comfort us. The Holy Spirit is our comforter in those situations of natural mourning, okay? But when you really think about that and you think about what the Beatitudes are all about, that would not be the type of mourning about which the Beatitudes are speaking. That, that would not be it. Because in the Beatitudes, these are conditions of the heart that we are supposed to seek after. Okay? These are things that we are supposed to desire in our lives, fill ourselves up with. Right? It says to desire to lay hold of being poor in spirit. It says seek after meekness. Right? It says hunger and thirst for righteousness. So these are things that we're supposed to seek after, desire. These are conditions of the heart that bring change and blessing and joy and hope of God in our lives. And there's no sorrow added with them. We're going to get into that a little bit later. There's no sorrow added with these, okay, with the Beatitudes. So honestly think about it. Should we seek after being as bereaved as possible in life? Should we? No, so that, that can't be what this is talking about. Even though Jesus comforts us in our losses, that can't be what this is talking about. Th that makes no sense. No one would desire, no one would desire to be as bereaved as possible. No one would desire to have a constant, continual condition of the heart of bereavement. And God wouldn't intend it. That's the most important. God wouldn't intend it for you. Okay, so we can get rid of that one. Then we have worldly mourning, or what I'm calling covetous mourning. That's when you look at the things of the world and you say, I want that. This worldly thing, I want that. Well, it's not, it's not bad to have desires when we've committed our way unto the Lord. Because the scripture says when we commit our way to him that he gives us the desires of our heart. So that's not the kind, that's not worldly. Okay? So in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, I'm going to start in verse 8. This actually talks about both worldly sorrow and it talks about godly sorrow. So we're going to go through the first to get to the second. Even if I caused you to sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, I see that my letter hurt you, but only for a little while. Yet now I am happy. Not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended, and so we're not harmed in any way by us. See, that's, that's a world uh, godly sorrow. We're going to talk about that later. Verse 10, godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. Now we have to talk about these two things. We got to get real about the difference because I don't want something in my life that brings death. And we need to be able to tell the difference, right? So that we can say no to the devil. 
because he is going to tempt you to stay in worldly sorrow, and that is never where God ever intended you to stay. The devil will hit you over the head as much as you can and try to get you not to receive the blessings of God, the forgiveness of God, the comfort of God, to be in remorse and defeat, and you have to know to say no to that. You have to know to say no. Okay, so let me just give you an example. One example, okay, David coveted Bathsheba, didn't he? Bathsheba was Uriah's wife. That's a worldly coveting. That's a worldly. He mourned after something that he shouldn't have, couldn't have. And as a result, he had Uriah murdered. Ouch. Wrong choice. It came out of a worldly remorse, wanting something, wanting somebody else's blessing, or wanting a blessing at that point in time that wasn't intended for him. You know, it's like a little kid with a popsicle. And they come, mommy, 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 can I have a popsicle? Can I? Oh, well, sweetheart, we're about to eat dinner. So no, you can't have the popsicle right now. But I want it. But I want it. Well, sorry. You can't have it. You may have it after dinner. See that? That's a worldly coveting. That's a very simple example. But it's a worldly coveting. And Another example, we're going to go into this a little more. It's in 1 Kings 21. We're not going to go there quite yet to the actual verses. I'm going to give you a little bit of a summary. But in in 1 Kings 21, okay, Ahab was the king of Israel. God had given him a kingdom. He had a blessing. He looked about, and he saw this beautiful vineyard that belonged to Naboth. And he wanted that vineyard. So he goes to Naboth and he goes, Give me, I'll buy your vineyard. Give me your vineyard. You know, let me buy your vineyard. Naboth was like, No, it means something to me. It was from my ancestors. This is my, I'm not going to, you know, no. So what does Ahab do? He becomes sullen and sulken and he feels sorry for himself and he won't eat. He's not looking at the blessing he has. He's looking at what he wants. Have you ever been there? Yeah, I've been there. It's what I want, and I want it now. So, his wife, Jezebel, comes up and says, why in the world are you so sullen, and you won't eat, and you're crabby, and crying, and all this stuff, and he goes, I can't have that vineyard. She goes, okay, well, I'll get you the vineyard. (laughs) See, she wasn't listening to the Lord either. I'll get you the vineyard. So she goes, she devises this scheme, and Naboth ends up dead. Hmm. Murdered. So as a result, so Ahab, he goes, he goes to take possession of that. Is there ever any pleasure in that? Nah. <laughs> anyway, in 1 Kings 21, 19, this is what the Lord says. In the place where dogs licked up, licked up Naboth's blood, dogs will lick up your blood, yes, yours. See, a curse became proclaimed over him, over Ahab, King Ahab. Because you have sold yourself to do evil in the eyes of the Lord, He says, I am going to bring disaster on you. I will wipe out your descendants and cut off from Ahab every last male in Israel, slave or free. You see, he committed a wrong to achieve something that he thought was good or that he wanted. 1 Kings 21, 23. And also concerning Jezebel, the Lord says, dogs will devour Jezebel by the wall of Jezreel. Well, see, Ahab... 
Ahab repented. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you that we have a God who allows us to repent, and he has mercy. So the Lord said, okay, I received that. Unfortunately, your descendants will probably suffer. But you see, the Lord was merciful at that point over Ahab because he did repent. He did repent. So he humbled himself. See that? See that word, humble? He humbled himself under the lordship of God. So this, this worldly mourning, this covetous mourning, this sinful mourning, it brings death. And this is what I was saying before. It's like when you mourn somebody else's blessing. Honestly, do you really want someone else's blessing? Do you want somebody else's ill-fitting garments? I don't. I don't. I want the garment that God made for me. There's plenty blessing to go around because we serve an only good God. That's who we serve. And don't think just because you messed it up, you're not going to get your garment. Don't think just because you made a mistake, you're not going to get your garment. God loves you too much for that. You are not that big. You're not that all-powerful. You see, he made it so that we have a perfect way to come back through repentance, through a change of heart, through a turning around. Hallelujah. It's a matter of receiving it. It's a matter of receiving it. Okay, so that's that. Then there is this godly mourning, and I'm sure you're all clued into it already, (laughs) a spiritual mourning, a mourning that brings us back. We might step out for a little while, but it brings us back right into the plan of God. Right? Right? He's not an I told you so God. That's the devil. He's a forgiving God. Do you, have, do you need to receive the forgiveness? Yes. Yes. Nobody can make you receive your forgiveness. No one can make you receive the mercy of God. It's sad when you don't. Very sad when you don't. But anyway, there's a spiritual mourning. And this is what this is what the beatitude, this beatitude is talking about. And this spiritual mourning, it results in God's peace. It results in the comfort of a loving father. Hallelujah. This is a morning over the things in our lives that we've done that displease God, but our heart turns, our heart comes back, our heart recognizes, and we turn back and we run into the ever-loving arms of our Father. Ever-loving. When you walk away, he doesn't stop loving. He never stops kind of like you moms. Oh, don't get me going. (laughs) His arms never close. His arms never push away. These are his arms. All the time. Beams of love, just all the time. Waiting, waiting for the prodigal to come back. And I want to tell you, I want to show you, I want to show you what God has. You know, the devil wants to keep you in fear that if you start that road of repentance, that it's going to become so painful, too painful to manage. 
because he doesn't want you to walk that road. The devil doesn't want you to walk that road. But I'm going to show you what the Lord has when in faith, for a faithful God, a good God, the road that our faith will bring us. 2 Corinthians 7.10. Actually, I'm going to go back to 9 again. Yet now I am happy, not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended, so you were not harmed in any way. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation in every area of life and leaves no regret. Do you know you don't have to have regret? You don't have to live in regret. When you repent, you don't have to have any regret. It's washed clean. It's under the blood. He sees you through the blood. He sees you through the sacrifice of Christ. And I want to read you a couple versions of this. That was NIV. This is NLT. For the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. There's no regret for that kind of sorrow. But worldly sorrow, which lacks repentance, results in spiritual death. The Passion Translation. God designed us to feel remorse over sin. See, it's a gift. This is a gift. Remorse over sin is a gift. It's not a gift to stay there. It's not a gift to stay there. God intends us to journey through. God intends us to see beyond the cross to a resurrected life. God designed us to feel remorse over sin in order to produce repentance that leads to victory. A gift. This leaves us with no regrets, but the sorrow of the world works death. And that's where the devil wants you to stay. Pining constantly over the mistakes that you've made. Constantly pining. Constantly hitting yourself over the head. Constantly seeing the shortfall. That's the devil's work. That's how you know it's the devil's work. Okay, this is an awesome translation. I don't have it up there because it's like maybe nobody reads this Bible. I don't know. So listen. It's the Aramaic Bible in plain English. You're going to be blessed. On the other hand, it gave me great joy. Not because you grieved for yourselves, but because your grief brought you conversion. Your grief brought you conversion, transformation, change. Understanding that you are accepted into the beloved. Conversion. See, that's the goal. God never leaves you where the pain takes you. God never leaves you where the pain takes you. And if that's where you are today, it is a disgusting, stinking lie of the devil. He's a comforter. Well, this, ver this version gets even better. <laughs> for you grieved for yourselves by that which is from God. In other words, truly, you, do, you don't want to be in sin. So that you would not be harmed by us in anything. Now, get a hold of this. This is verse 10. For grief that is for God's sake. A turning back produces a remorse of the soul, 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 
not eternally, not spirit, not eternal spirit, which does not reverse itself. Wow. It does not reverse itself. Do you guys love that or not? I love it. I have a conversion, a remorse of my soul that is not going to reverse itself. Thank you, Jesus. I am coming to grips with the reality of the sin, a true desire not to do that, and God will restore life. It says here, but the grief of the world produces death. Oh, wait, I missed a part. A a remorse of the soul which does not reverse itself and restores to life. Wow. Gee, I want to repent about everything I possibly could, and I want to get it right because I want to be restored to life. Because that's what God has for me. Life, 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 life. And more abundantly. More than I could ever ask, think, or imagine. Wow. But the grief of the world produces death. So you see, it's a good thing to go through this process, this godly mourning that ends in comfort. Godly mourning that ends in comfort. So that means we turn away, we have a true turning and the Lord restores life to us. This is a work of the heart. This is by the power of the Holy Spirit. We let go. We let go of that which really causes death in us. And Satan's deceitful veil is removed. Satan's deceitful veil is removed. Wow. It's a cleansing, a reunion, a communion, a a unity with our Lord, our Father. There's no greater comfort. There's no greater comfort in all the world. And this morning, this morning, it springs faith, it springs forth from your faith in the fact that you serve a good God, a loving Father. Hallelujah. You see, when when we are enticed by temporary pleasures and then we turn back to God. He has our eternal well-being in mind, and he brings us comfort, not condemnation, not ridicule. We become united with Christ, reunited. Well, you're always united when you're a born-again believer, so please understand how I'm saying that, okay? Y'all understand what I'm saying? So we shun the sin, and we become transformed more and more through this godly mourning we become transformed more and more into the image of Christ, the image of God in our lives. Thank you, Lord. He justifies us. He sanctifies us. He makes us holy. He brings us into victorious living. Hallelujah. Hope-filled, refreshing, overcoming life. So this, but see, we can't get here. That's why it was so important that he talked about being poor in spirit first, humbling ourselves, humbling ourselves under the lordship of Christ because that's the avenue to get here, to allow him to make the changes in our hearts. This is a heart change. This is a, this is a matter of the heart. And it can only come through true submission to Christ, a true turning. So you see, I'm going to give you a couple examples. David... See, David knew true repentance, didn't he? He knew true repentance. He was a scoundrel. He did bad, bad things. Right? He did bad things. But you see, what he understood was God's mercy. He repented. He came back. He mourned. You see, you have to receive God's mercy. Nobody can do that for you. Nobody can do that for you. Satan wants you to block it. The Lord wants you to take it. It's solely a matter of our choices. We can live in regret or we can live in victory. 
totally up to us. And then there was Saul. See, Saul, the Lord had given, king, had given Saul had a kingship, right? Right? He was king. Okay? So the word of the Lord came to him and said, go attack the Amalekites and kill everything. Well, I guess Saul thought something else was better. So he spared, right? He spared the king that he was fighting against, and he took the best of the livestock. And so he went back, and Samuel, he, he had to confront Samuel, and it's like, well, what have you done? And he, he does, he admits it at first, okay? He says this, I have sinned, I violated the Lord's command, and your instructions. This is 1 Samuel 15, 24. I was afraid of men, and so I gave in to them. Have you ever been in that spot? Have you ever been in that spot? Where you're, you, you think about what someone else is going to think, or you think about what somebody else wants, or you put in, you, you crumble under the pressure, and yet you know the Lord's speaking over here in your ear saying, mm, that's not really what I want you to do. That's not really the blessing I have for you. So he, re he did repent. First of all, why did he even care what men think, thought? He was king. <laughs> you know, why did he even worry? He was king. But he did. So he did the wrong thing. And he came back and he said, I have sinned. I have violated the Lord's command. Now I beg you, forgive my sin and come back with me so that I may worship the Lord. Those are all great words. Great words. If only that was really his motivation. If only that had truly been his motivation. But he went on and, and he ends up revealing what his true motivation is. Verse 30, Saul replied, I have sinned. But please honor me before the elders of my people and before Israel. He didn't learn a thing. He didn't learn one little bitty, itty little thing. It's like, okay, I sinned, but please honor me. He didn't care about the Lord. He didn't care about honoring God. He cared about his own honor. That's not repentance. That's not repentance. You see, godly mourning brings a turning. It brings a turning. We understand, and when we, when we, the joy of it is that we understand when we go through that godly mourning that we're forgiven. We're forgiven. No matter how dark it might seem, we're forgiven. Hallelujah. But we have to receive that. We're forgiven through the blood. We're seen as accepted. We are accepted into the beloved, aren't we? And that doesn't change. That doesn't change just because we sin. What changes is our attitude. And that makes the devil really, really happy. So here I want to go through a few more things. of The blessing, when you go through the pain of repentance and you truly receive the gift of the Lord, the comfort of the Lord. Acts 3.19. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. That's a promise. Take that as a promise. Understand what that means. It doesn't say, ah, uh, I'm going to like kind of cover that up a little bit. And it's going to come back to haunt you. No, it says wiped out. Wiped out. Wiped out. Not existing in the heart of God. Not existing. Wiped out. That times of refreshing may come. Who in here needs to be refreshed? I'll take it. That times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Proverbs 28, 13. Whoever conceals. See, that's what the devil wants you to do. The devil wants you to think that your situation is too dark and that you have to keep it under wraps. He wants to isolate you. 
He wants you to keep everything hidden in the dark, in secret, so that it can't be healed. That's not God. That's the devil's torment. Whoever conceals their sins does not prosper. That's pretty simple. <laughs> so if the devil's telling you you've got to conceal it, you've got another thing coming. But there's a way out. See, there's a way out. But the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. It doesn't say just sometimes. And that doesn't mean that you have to go confess to everybody. You have a God, don't you? You can talk to him, can't you? Yeah, now is there a time to get others help, good counsel, loving counsel, godly counsel? Yes. Sometimes we can't do it on our own. But the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. That's comfort to me. Those who mourn shall be comforted. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive. Will forgive us our sins and purify us. Pure, pure, pure. Think about what that word means, pure from all unrighteousness. See, that's comfort. So now I want to give you an example of someone who did not know how to receive comfort as a result of their repentance, and they kept allowing, obviously allowed Satan to hound them over the head, and they stayed in a, in a spirit of despair. God does not have a spirit of despair for anybody, no matter what the situation. That's not him. That's never him. He's a good, good God. His love defends us. It is stronger than any other supernatural force. And it is a supernatural force. Judas. You see, Judas was sorry about what he did. But he didn't walk through to the other side to receive the comfort and mercy of Jesus, of our Father. He could have. Even in that situation, he could have. But he didn't. And he ended up taking his own life because he chose to listen to the despair of Satan. He chose to listen to the despair of Satan. Okay, I'm not going to talk to you all about God's plan. I, that's not what I'm talking about here, okay? I'm not going to get into a theological argument over that. I'm looking at the point of where Judas stayed in despair to such a point that he took his own life. See, that's where Satan wants us to stay. In the torment of the devil, to continue in darkness and death, Satan is the accuser of the brethren when you make a mistake, he wants you to stay there. He doesn't want you to go through the cross to a resurrected life. Jesus went to the cross for your resurrected life. And it's just a matter of receiving it. It's just a matter of receiving it. The Holy Spirit takes us through the morning to cleansing, to hope, to forgiveness, to life, to victory. Greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. Greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. That's where this morning takes us. Hallelujah. 1 Corinthians 15 57. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you. You see, spiritual mourning recognizes the complete redemption. Spiritual mourning recognizes the complete redemption 
that Christ purchased. In every area of life. That's what spiritual, it, it, that's what spiritual mourning does. It takes us into the ascended life that is intended for us. It takes us into resurrection life. It takes us into resurrected victory. It takes us into the peace and comfort of our Father. It does not leave us in despair and darkness. It receives what the blood has done. Receive. Receive. I will guarantee that every single one of you, somewhere, myself included, has an area of life where you really, truly have not received what the blood has done. And it doesn't do any good to hide it. Because Jesus already won the victory for you in that area. It's a promise. It's a promise. You see, spiritual mourning goes through the death of self, the death of self, into the resurrection life. Thank you, Jesus. Okay, I have one more thing for you. (laughs) Hang in, hang in there just a little bit longer. There's another type of spiritual mourning, and that's where you mourn for others in sin. That's an intercessory mourning. See, Jesus was known as a man of sorrows, wasn't he? He travailed for our souls, didn't he? He did. And so moms, I know you moms have been in this spot before. I know you friends. You've travailed for friends. Don't think that's wasted. God will bring you to a time of comfort. God will bring you to a time of comfort. Isaiah 53. See, Jesus was acquainted with our griefs. He is despised, 53.3. I'm actually in King James now. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. You know, I saw something in this verse that I really... You probably all saw this before, so I'm not teaching you anything new. But I saw something this week that I hadn't really noticed before, and I'm going to tell you about it. And then you can come up to me after and say, well, I already knew that. (laughs) Verse 10. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, see here, This is going to be a godly morning. This is godly morning for the souls of others. This is a longing for their freedom from bondage, from their freedom from the chains that hold them back, travailing for others. Jesus didn't have personal sins. He had no personal sins. He didn't travail for others. Okay? He mourned for the sin of the world. He grieved for those who would suffer the effects of sin, and he went to the cross to release us. Okay? Isaiah 53.10 again. He, this is the part I learned about this week, because I always thought about, you know, the seed is Jesus. Right? God's seed was Jesus, right? That's not the part I learned. (laughs) But I'm going to go a little bit deeper here. He shall see his seed... He shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. Part of that seed, that's not just Jesus being our seed. It is. It is Jesus being the seed. But his travail was seed. His travail 
His travail. When you travail, it is seed for others. And it will not go unanswered. The promise is right here. When you travail in the spirit for the darkness that another life, another life has walked into, your seed will not go unharvested. You will see the pleasure of the Lord in that person's life in this earth. You will see it. There is a seed that is a travail of the soul. And it will bring the pleasure of the Lord. It further goes on to say that it shall be satisfied. I will not let go of those situations that have been brought into my life where there is a pain, a darkness in somebody else's life because I will travail and I will plant the seeds of travail and I will see the pleasure of the Lord. In that person's life. Don't give up, saints. Don't give up, saints. Don't give up on your sons and daughters. Don't give up on broken situations. You will see comfort for your mourning. You will see a harvest because of your travail. You will be satisfied. You will be satisfied. Hallelujah. Isaiah 61, 1 through 3. You see, here's the deal. Jesus' travail. Jesus' travail. And we're like him in, when we're born again, right? Jesus' travail satisfied every answer to sin. Jesus' travail. Every attempt of Satan to destroy, Jesus' travail satisfied it and won the victory. Isaiah 61, 1 through 3. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners. Your seed, your harvest. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. And to provide for those who grieve in Zion to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes. Beauty instead of ashes. The oil of joy instead of mourning. And a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. That sounds like comfort to me, saints. They will be called Oaks of righteousness, a planning of the Lord for the display of his splendor. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So if there's anyone in this room today, I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray for those who are in travail for others. I'm going to pray for those who are in a spirit of despair. So if you want to come up, I'll pray with you personally. If you don't want to come up, I'm going to pray for you anyway. (laughs) 
But if you want to come up and if you have a spirit of despair or a spirit of travail for someone and you need someone to agree with you, I'm going to do that. Okay. Well, then I'm just going to pray for you anyway. Dear Lord, I just intercede on behalf of every situation in our beloved's life where they're in a spirit of travail for another. I thank you, Lord, that that seed of travail brings the victory of Jesus. I thank you that you comfort them. I command you, Satan, to get your hand off that situation in the name of Jesus. We will see the vision of God. We will see the perfected plan of God in that person's life. We call our unsaved sons and daughters into your household, into your family. That laborers go across their path that bring the light of life of Christ to them. For those who need 